What's up, Beardos? You're listening to episode 136 of The Bearded Vegans. Basically, our whole philosophy boils down to don't be a jerk. Don't really answer your question first. I'm not answering your question. I really hope people didn't tune in to hear us talking about beards. Welcome to the show. I'm Paul. And I'm Andy. And we are the Bearded Vegans, a podcast featuring a dissection of all things vegan. If you're just tuning in for the first time, you can find all of our previous episodes at thebeardedvegans.com, and you can reach us by emailing thebeardvegans at gmail.com. In today's episode, we're going to talk about what we've been eating, go over the news, and then ask the question, is it okay to be critical of other activists? I sure hope the answer is yes, or else we might have to stop doing this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. You are correct about that, Andy. Uh, but before we before we get into the muck with that one, Paul, just a quick announcement. We're coming up on the mailbag, you know, in about four episodes from now. So a little heads up to people. If you have a burning question you need to get off your chest, you want us to attempt to respond to it, please send us an email to thebeardedvegans at gmail.com. No question too big, too small, or too medium. <laughs> uh, anything mundane, anything super serious, we, we love it all. We love hearing from the Beardos. So this is just our little way of encouraging you to reach out to us. I'm excited. Mailbags, I always look forward to the mailbags. They're always fun episodes to do. Yeah, no, they're, they're among my favorite ones to do. So, Andy, what have you been eating? Well, I circled back around to New Orleans. It didn't, <laughs> I didn't think that that's what was going to happen. And it turns out that Houston is... Much further south in Texas than I had thought in my mind, but it's cool because I got to go back to New Orleans and I got to go to Sweet Soul Food, which is a vegan soul food spot. It's kind of, you know, the format where you walk in and they have 12 or so things in sort of like a hot bar format and you get to pick four for your for your entree there. And I have to say, Paul, it was pretty dang good. It was pretty dang good. The only thing I didn't love was the mac and cheese, but everything else I thought was like pretty phenomenal. The the yam dish was amazing. It was very very sweet, but it, it worked really well when you had it with their their greens, which were just seasoned to perfection. They had a bread pudding that was incredible. They had this, I'm not sure exactly what it was, if it was like a jambalaya or just sort of like a rice and veggie with some sausage kind of thing in it, but whatever that was was truly delicious. So yeah, I will definitely be going back to Sweet Soul Food. And they, I went, you know, like middle of the afternoon. I thought it would be pretty dead at that point, And it was packed. There was a line all the way to the back. So they're definitely doing well. And I hope they continue to thrive. I, I would say it's about damn time that New Orleans has a vegan soul food spot. So, yeah, big ups to Sweet Soul Food. Big ups. Salivating just thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> You're soul evading. Yes. All right. You know, that's all the food I want to talk about today, Paul. Nice. I've been, I don't know if I mentioned this last week when I, when I went to the Lancaster Veg Fest, I received a large quantity of those. And have you had those, the good karma flax milk? Have you ever had that? I think I must have tried it at Expo West, but that's a place where you sample like literally 7 billion types of milk, one for each human on the planet, Paul. So it's like it all kind of blends together and it's this weird amalgam of various milks in your stomach. And it's like you have to not think about how many different types of liquid are in your stomach. Yeah. Else you yeah. Uh, start to feel a little funky. But yeah, I, I can't say I remember having good karma. 
I'm super into it. It has a lot of it's it's a lot of protein and it has added omegas in it too. So I really love it. But at the end of the the veg fest, I received a large pack of sample like little sample bottles of that. So I've basically been surviving solely on good, good karma flax milk for this past week. Wow, you forsaken the raw tofu? Oh no, don't worry, that's there too. But I've, <laughs> I've actually, I've actually mostly just been using it, using the flax milk to make smoothies, which I put the block of tofu into. Ah, nice. So it actually gives a little bit of flavor. Mm-hmm. You're not bit. just drinking a raw tofu slurry. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. All right, Paul. Let's do this news. Let's do it. So this this first one. It's kind of cool. It's 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 doesn't quite fit in the category of follow up. We've we decided pre recording, but it is I think related to our discussions that we had about veganuary and the effectiveness of these kind of challenges that like vegan challenges. So this article is from CitizenTimes.com called "Here's What to Know About Asheville's Citywide Vegan Challenge." So the article says. City officials have designated the week of June 4th through 10th as the first city-proclaimed vegan challenge in the country. Brother Wolf Animal Rescue proposed the City of Asheville seven-day vegan challenge to the city in an effort to promote awareness of what the group says are the benefits associated with a vegan diet, including environmental and animal welfare impact. Since not every eater intuitively knows how to rid their plate of meat, even if only for a matter of days, Brother Wolf partnered with Garth Davis and his team at Mission Health to create a seven-day vegan meal plan with recipes and grocery lists. Brother Wolf will also partner with local restaurants to highlight vegan options. The list of participating restaurants is at cityveganchallenge.org. That's where the organization has also encouraged participants to sign up with the aim of tracking how many are taking the challenge. More than 800 people signed up in the first 10 days, says Courtney Zercher, marketing director for Vegan Fest and Brother Wolf. The goal is to take the number of people signed up and track the environmental impact of all those people going vegan for seven days. Zercher said the organization will use data to show the citywide impacts of going vegan for the week, considering factors like grain and water usage and rainforest acreage saved. We want to show, as a city, what you can do to impact climate change through a vegan diet. Hmm. So I think this is pretty cool. I, I think, you know, we talked about in, in our discussion, Andy, about the effectiveness of these sorts of challenges. I think we were definitely more in favor for the ones that lasted a little bit longer, like the month long challenge. But that being said, 800, getting 800 people to sign up for this and, and maybe more at this point too. Although we are, we are in the midst. We're, we're, we're in the thick of it right now of the Asheville's citywide vegan challenge. Cause it was June 4th through 10th. But I don't know, maybe they got more than 800 people, but even 800 people for the first year doing this, I think that's pretty good. And if it's anything like Veganuary, which has kind of like exponentially increased as the years went on, you know, maybe they'll get double that amount next year and then double that amount the following year. So I think this is pretty cool. Yeah, I think I'm down with this, Paul. I will actually be at Asheville Vegan Fest this coming weekend. 
if you're listening in a timely fashion, that actually was technically last weekend <laughs> by the time you hear this. But yeah, it'll be the sort of the culmination of this this challenge and the big celebration at the end. And um, the fest has this year two days worth of speakers, and then on the final day, the Sunday, there's what is sort of your typical veg fest with a hundred plus vendors and all of the uh, accoutrement that come with that. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I, I think this is really cool. I, you know, have had my issues with Garth Davis. People might remember his uh, really horrible line in What the Health where he's talking about, you know, the the move to get us to accept our bodies has us accepting being unhealthy and ah, yes. uh, which is, you know, probably my least favorite part of that film, which we had plenty of things to pick apart. But otherwise, I think that even when these things are, are not like perfect, the fact that getting people to sort of step outside of their comfort zone, getting people to try vegan food and just sort of shaking things up like that, I think that there is an immense benefit to that. And I think it is really cool that, that they did a seven-day challenge of this nature. We agree that it's better when it's longer because seven days is a hard – it's like not much time to really get into anything, but – it's hard to imagine a city at this point in time doing a month-long vegan challenge. So I think it's really cool. And and hopefully it shows some of the, the local restaurants that there you know, is demand for their vegan options and will expand their vegan options. And I think that that's always a good thing as well. Yeah, you know, I think s- seven days is good. But I think the difference between a seven-day challenge and a month-long challenge is if you're doing something for a month, you probably will be getting rid of – most of your perishable non-vegan food mm-hmm. whereas with a 7 day challenge you can probably keep all like keep all the meat keep, I actually I have no idea how long it takes for meat to go bad but like <laughs> keep the meat keep the like the the yogurt and stuff like that you could keep all those in your fridge and be like oh this is for next week versus the month long challenge where you're like this is all going to go bad so I'm going to have to use all this up or get rid of it before I start the the month long challenge I think that's that's one big difference is with the month long, you're kind of like immersed into what the lifestyle would be like versus the seven day challenge. You're like, oh, I'm doing this temporary thing. Obviously, this is I'm speculating wildly about people's thoughts about this, but that's just I don't know. I just thought about that. No, I think I think that your wild speculation makes wild <laughs> sense, Paul. Thank because you, you thank could you. you could have like a bag of you know cheese or something, and that's probably not going to go bad in a week. I think and. Yeah, no, I think that the more immersive that it is, the better it is. But I think this is pretty cool. I think, um, you know, we'd have to look into the messaging and is it, you know, what sort of agenda is it really pushing? If it's just the health, then it's it's uh, less exciting to me. But uh, I will choose to remain optimistic. Paul. <laughs> well, from this article, it seems like it's really pushing the environmental impact. Yeah, yeah. Also, we talked about Brother Wolf before, right? They were the ones that were pushing for other, what was it, other sanctuaries to go vegan, I think? Yeah, they wanted essentially any type of animal rescue. Like, I think they're really going for, like, the dog and cat people, really pushing for them to adopt vegan platforms so that if they're doing a fundraiser, they're not having a barbecue with cow's flesh on the grill. And yeah, I'd actually be curious to follow up with someone this weekend if I if I run into anyone in the know to see how that's going for them. I hope you find the brother wolf. Do you think uh, this sanctuary was started by Hulk Hogan? <laughs> brother. 
<laughs> Brother Wolf. All right, Andy. Great, great Hulk Hogan impression. Sorry. I want to see you in the cage, brother. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Thank you. Thank you. So this next article coming to us from Veg News. 39% of Chinese population is ditching meat. So, Andy, I think that we can view this article with some optimism. However, there is a bit of a... It, it, the title, as as with all, as not, I shouldn't say all, but as with most articles online, it's a bit of a misleading title because would you agree, Andy, that th- from this title, it makes it seem like 39% of the Chinese population has stopped eating meat? That certainly seems like what it is implying. <laughs> well, what it actually is, is that it was a survey conducted by the Plant and Food Research in, it's like an organization in New Zealand to kind of figure out food attitudes in China because China is one of their major they, – they export a lot of food to China. So this it was this extensive study that was done to kind of figure out the Chinese population's attitudes towards food and – it was very extensive. I read through the actual study. We'll we'll link to the both the article and the actual study, which is cool. It 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 organizes the data really nicely in some nice graphs and and, and charts and stuff. But I wanted to highlight a few like a few of the what I thought were the more important parts of this study or or the more relevant parts to what our podcast is talking about. But in actuality, it wasn't thirty nine percent of people not eating meat it was 39 percent of people would said in the survey that they are reducing their meat consumption and in particular pork so because when i when i saw this article i was like wow 39 percent of people not eating meat like 39 percent of people vegetarian that seems very very high and i was unfortunately correct in that being seeming too high because it's just saying that it, it was just people saying that they want to reduce the amount of meat that they eat and and another kind of unfortunate from looking through the survey another kind of unfortunate fact that i saw was that even though 39% of people are reducing their meat intake which is mostly mostly pork the dairy and fish and seafood and beef are actually on the rise in within the past 3 years for in in china which is kind of a bummer more optimistically though fruit and vegetables in, in terms of how much consum- how much people are consuming more people are reporting that they are consuming more fruits and vegetables than any other type of product but dairy and fish products are the the third and fourth most which is unfortunate and then i mean this is a good thing but pork and poultry are both on the decline so in general people are eating in china less pork and poultry so that's kind of good i also i also thought it was kind of interesting that 14.8 people responded that they e- they follow either a vegan or vegetarian diet. So that's that's nice. Yeah, but there is of course all the issues of like the self-reporting of diets that that we've run across with all these surveys that happened in the US and the UK as well where you know, people say that they're vegan or vegetarian, but then in like specific questions like how many times a week do you eat chicken or eggs or something, they will They'll say they're vegan, but then, oh, three times a week I eat eggs or something like that. And 
Yeah. You know, there's like confusion, I think, about what vegan and vegetarian is. I think that even though there is a lot of negative stigma around veganism and, and vegans are, are being all high and mighty and all that stuff, I think that there is also some part of people that, that understands that it is a ethically good thing to do and they want to sort of claim that title for themselves even if they're not fully practicing it. So I don't know. I guess I'm I'm skeptical of that number, but if it is an accurate number, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. So something else interesting from this survey, because again, this survey was designed to 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 like gauge why people are doing these things. And it definitely it definitely had a tone of looking at this through a health lens, like how do you feel about this type of food? How healthy do you feel this type of food is? So there's a lot of questions about how their attitudes about how healthy something is. But one of the questions was why people are reducing their meat intake. And I, I feel like this could be potentially beneficial for animal advocates that 63.5% reported that it was bad for their health. That's why they're reducing meat intake. 40% responded they were reducing it because it was better for the environment to eat less meat and then only 17.4 percent reported that they have concerns about animal welfare Hmm. that was the only that was the only animal related option there there wasn't one that was like i'm against eating animals or because obviously this is this question frames it from a welfare perspective but those are the big three and health overwhelmingly dominated it so andy i don't know if if this means Obviously, this is in China, so I'm not going to be going over there advocating any for veganism anytime soon. But if this is if if a similar ish result is reflected in in the United States, does this mean that I should be focusing more on promoting why veganism is healthy, or does it mean I should be putting even more effort into the animal aspect of it to try to get that number increased? Because the people that were reducing meat because of animal reasons was so much lower than the other two reasons. Well, I would say that veganism is not necessarily or inherently healthy. So I don't know if I would take that angle, but personally I, I say it just means that we need to have more of a, an effort to promote the ethical side of veganism, which yeah. to me is the only side. <laughs> I was lobbing. I lobbed you that one. Knocked it out of the park, <laughs> Thank you, Paul. Teamwork. <laughs> and then the la- again, this is an extensive research. I think it's worth looking through because the way it's organized is very easy to understand. It breaks it down by question, and then it summarizes all the data in these nice infographics. But the last two points I wanted to, to, to mention, which I think I'm optimistic about these. So there was a question, would you substitute meat and or dairy with other food types? And 80.66% percent of people said yes so that's most people said that they would substitute that and and it's worth noting that they included meat substitutes and dairy substitutes like as part of the language that they were using so they literally used the words like mock meat and non-dairy beverages for for soy milk and stuff like that so they were including those in there Very and then nice. the last yeah and then the last one Actually, no, this is not a good thing, Andy. I take back what I said. This is a uh, <laughs> this is possibly a pitfall. It's the question or the statement was, I cannot get all the nutrition I need from a strictly vegetarian or vegan lifestyle. And 63.3% of people said yes. So that's more than half of the people thought that they would not be able to get all the nutrition they needed 
being vegan or vegetarian. So that's alarming. And I think that's maybe informative that we need to help people understand that, you know, however, whatever way that they want to eat, they can continue eating that way on a vegan lifestyle by, you know, substituting out the non-vegan foods. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with your assessment, Paul. Thank you. So it was, it was a, it was a cool study to look through. I think, again, the the title of the article is a little bit misleading. I, I think the the article from Veg News chooses to, you know, they kind of chose to to pick the the positive aspects of what this survey concluded, and and kind of didn't look at some of the negative aspects, like the increase of dairy products and fish and other seafood, but. You know, I, I think we sh- we need to look at the whole picture to try and see how that's going to inform our advocacy. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, Andy, we got one more news story. This one, I think, is going to be a little bit of a lengthier discussion. Let's have it. Yeah. You know, it, it's weird because it's – I don't know if it's really news necessarily because nothing has really come of this. But uh, an article was published uh, with someone sort of musing on the implications of this. So this is coming to us from Stuff.co in New Zealand, and it was dated June 5th. Vegan job requirement could be discrimination. And so what this is, is there's a group called SAFE, which is an acronym for Save Animals from Exploitation. Uh, Paul, I feel like we've seen some real janky acronyms lately, and this one really (laughs) is good. It nails it. All the appropriate (laughs) letters in the right place. (laughs) Anyway, they posted a job listing for a media and communications advisor, which I'm reading as essentially a social media person. And maybe someone's also reaching out to, you know, local news or something along those lines. And actually did look at the the advertisement for it or the, the job posting, and it said, you will be vegan and have knowledge and a genuine interest in animal welfare and rights. And so this little requirement, I guess, has caused a bit of a stir. So let me just read a little bit from this article before we talk about it. It says, the Human Rights Commission says the requirement is legal, but an employment lawyer says it could be in breach of the Human Rights and Privacy Acts. Taylor Shaw employment lawyer Catherine Dalziel, apologies, Catherine, says the ad could be indirect discrimination on the basis of ethical belief. Most people become vegan for ethical reasons, be it animal welfare or the environment, and the requirement is filtering out people who do not share those ethical beliefs. She says, it's like if you are saying only six foot three people can do the job. You would filter out most women and indirectly discriminate against them. The question is, why does a comms advisor need to be vegan? Could somebody who isn't vegan do the job? Asking applicants whether they are vegan could be a breach of privacy too, she said. Paul, I think we talked about a story sort of like this. Was it like an ice cream shop in Portland or something like that? I forget exactly what the ins and outs were. Like if they they wouldn't hire a vegan, I think, right? Because the, yeah. the vegan wouldn't be able to taste their ice cream. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, okay. So this is sort of, I guess, the other side of that coin. But I don't know. This This definitely had me thinking a lot about this. And, I mean, to me... It makes sense that a vegan organization would want vegan members for the same reason that I, when I'm running uh, the Compassion Company table, my, ve- my vegan clothing line at a festival, 
I wouldn't put a friend behind the table that's not vegan because I want them to be able to talk the talk, walk the walk, and and answer questions people have if someone you know that's not vegan comes up. This happens all the time. They'll say, oh, what does this mean? Or why did you choose this wording? Or that happens all the time. And I want someone that can give a good explanation for that. And I don't know, is this different just because it's a behind the scenes thing and maybe they, they won't have to interact with the public necessarily as much, but I don't know. Like, what do you, what do you think about this situation? My first thought was, I wonder if, and, and this is not tackling like the, the ethical issues of this, which I will get to, but my first thought was, I wonder if they could in their job listing, they could just say vegan preferred vegans preferred or something like that and that would avoid all the legality of it yeah well uh, so the re- they said that three years ago they added the the vegan only hiring policy and that prior to doing that they would get they'd post a job listing and get hundreds of applications from people that said i really love animals but as as whoever they were interviewing this article said, but they didn't love animals the way that we love animals kind of thing, you know? So, <laughs> yeah. so like, I get that. I think that if you, if you have a vegan organization and you're trying to promote veganism, I think it would be hard to have someone working on the team that isn't fully vegan and isn't committed in that cause. Like, if it was just someone that's just sort of clocking in and putting in their nine to five and doesn't have any sort of passion for it beyond that. I I get why I mean I understand I'm sure you do as well but like I understand why they would want vegan only. Yeah, yeah. No, I I I agree that they should be able to do this, and I think that the analogy that that one person is trying to draw is is kind of like a not a not the not a great analogy because no, not at all. You know, like you can't choose how tall you are, but but like veganism is like a, a choice that people are making. It's like an ethical belief that people have. It's not, this is how I am. So th- I thought that that was kind of weird. Yeah. And I guess I am also wondering, like, what if there is a job that really needs a very tall person to do it? Is it all of a sudden discrimination to only hire someone that could physically meet? Like, I guess I'm thinking about the requirement you often see in job listings that are saying, like, must be able to lift 50 pounds. Yeah. Like, I guess technically that's discriminatory against many people, disabled folks or people that just are are unable to do that. But at the same time, that's what the job requires someone to do. So why would you want, you know, like, why would someone want to do that job if they would be physically unable to complete that task? Yeah. Yeah. But even this, I think, is is I think that this situation is even different than that. Like, I don't know if if. Like, would it be weird if a job listing for, like, the ACLU said must not be racist or something like that? <laughs> and someone's like, what? I can't. Oh, sorry. I, I shouldn't. I shouldn't. I can't go into my Southern accent. <laughs> what in darnation? <laughs> Confound it. But you, know, but, but you know what I mean? It's like, I think that why wouldn't. And. 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 I'm sure that a job application for an organization like that does say, does have something along the lines of you should share similar beliefs as to what our organization is promoting. Like, I don't, I don't get why that's not okay. Yeah. And I guess the other question that I have is, 
unless this is literally the only job available in a certain area, I'm I'm guessing it's not, but unless this is the only job, like there's one job in a town, you know, <laughs> you know, what non-vegan is, is so put out by the fact that they couldn't get this job? You know, like what is there someone that's like, I feel discriminated against because I can't go work at this vegan organization because I'm not vegan. Yeah. And, and I feel like when the person that's arguing against it in this article says the question is, why does a comms advisor need to be vegan? Could somebody who isn't a vegan do the job? I feel like they're really missing the point because I think they're looking at it in the same way as like from the analogy that they just made. Like, oh, you're you're discriminating against people that aren't aren't tall enough to do a job. But if this is a job that doesn't that doesn't have a height requirement, why would you put a height requirement? Like, I feel like that's what they're they're looking at it from that lens. Mm -hmm. But it's not like it's not about whether or not a non-vegan could physically or literally do the job, the the communications advisor job. It's about, you know, it, it's more about creating this, creating a workforce that has like a shared collective. They have the same goal that like they know, I, like I don't think that this is a bad thing to want to create an employee environment where people know what their goal is and they share this same goal and they share these same beliefs. So in the same way that if I was, if I was applying to us to teach at a high school and the high school had like a particular way, let's say of disciplinary disciplinary actions. And they were really into restorative justice and that's how they, that's how they chose to, to deal with behavioral issues. If I went in for an interview and I said, I believe that that students should be expelled as soon as they swear in class or in the classroom. I probably wouldn't get hired for that job for the sole reason that I don't share that same that same belief in what they're trying to what their their goal and their focus is. And just because this has like a label to it, it seems like that makes it d discrimination. And I don't know if that's true. You know, like in my in my analogy, if if all of a sudden everyone that's into restorative justice all started collecting under an identity like restories, like I'm a restory, I'm for restorative justice. And then the job listing said you have to be a restory. I feel like then they would consider that then under this, that would be considered discrimination, whereas before me not getting hired because I'm not into that wouldn't be considered discrimination. Yeah. Now we're getting into like identity and stuff like that. Yeah. And I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just kind of wanted to go back to something you said about how it, it makes sense to have someone that like is in line in the office because you don't want people that are conflicted about the goals that are going on. And if they're vegan, they'll, they'll you know be more in line. And I'm just thinking, and this ties into our main discussion, but like e even vegans are not always of the same mindset of what the ultimate goal is or how to achieve it. And so, so if like everyone that practices a vegan lifestyle can't agree on that, like imagine bringing someone in that is just totally new to these issues or, you know, d doesn't already have sort of that base knowledge of what it means to be vegan and, and like, like why someone should be vegan. Like, and they say this in the article, the, the safe, someone at safe was like, yeah, it, it caused a lot of like sort of, 
internal debate among people when we had non-vegans and it, we were like wasting time debating on things that we sort of felt should already be given so yeah i mean again it just makes sense and like i wonder if i wonder if this would be an issue if instead of saying you will be vegan they kind of set out the expectations very specifically like for instance they couldn't say they can't say something like you never eat animal products but they might say you will not consume any animal products on like at work and you will you will have like you should have the ideology shared with the the organization which is you know the belief that like abolitionist veganism blah 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 and just went into like into more specifics basically describing what a vegan would be and not saying you have to be this but saying like you should we are looking for people who share these beliefs like i feel like that would be fine but again because it says like you have to be vegan it's like it's different somehow and and it opens it up for this sort of stuff yeah, I mean, I think that there's definitely ways that they could tiptoe around it. And like you said earlier, something that even just says vegans preferred or vegans given preference or something like that. And I mean, you see that in jobs where it's like people with more experience will be given preference. If you have people with with existing knowledge of Google Docs will be given preference or people who have experience doing activism will be given preference. I've seen that when I was, you know, signing up for or applying for jobs in the nonprofit vegan activism world. And so I think that they could say something like that, but I think what they're trying to do is just straight up be like we're just trying to get people that we know will not be a good fit to straight up not apply because it's wasting our time going through hundreds of applications. And I get that. I would rather have, you know, to just look at five different applications of people that are like truly dedicated to the cause versus 200 people that like dogs. Yeah. And I think we are definitely Andy, both in agreement that this should be okay. And that people seem to be like you pointed out, like who, who's, why would someone want this if they weren't vegan when they could hopefully, you know, unless this was the only job around, but I do feel like maybe making a blanket statement, whereas like, this is okay, would then open it up for a different situation that's similar, something that we would think is discrimination that like we then wouldn't agree with. But then those people would say, well, look, you said that this was okay. So what I'm doing is okay as well. Can you think of an example? I mean, just something based on like race or something like that. But that's not a belief system. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I mean, but I, like, I mean, honestly, I'm thinking about like in any direction that you could take this, like say like, I don't know, the Westboro Baptist church is hiring Right. And they're like, you must be a piece of shit bigot in order to join our organization. (laughs) And someone's like, well, I'm not a piece of shit bigot. So I feel discriminated against like, well, why would you want to be there if that's the requirement? And that's something that you are against. You know, you're trying to you're trying to infiltrate it. (laughs) Yeah. But you you would pretend to be a a bigot, you know, like it's like, like if you were trying to infiltrate, you wouldn't be straight up on your job form about it. That's true. <laughs> no, yeah, you're right. You're right. So so I guess something that's kind of interesting to me about this is that essentially the whole discrimination thing 
is that like it's not discriminating against vegans it's discriminating against non-vegans and so and, and this um Catherine Dalziel the um employment lawyer was saying that it could be sort of an indis- indirect discrimination of ethical belief so that i guess that begs the question then is being non-vegan an ethical belief hmm are you saying that in terms of like where that would show up in other job or are you just saying like in general in this instance essentially it's saying that someone who is not vegan has their ethical beliefs that it's okay to eat animals and therefore you are discriminating against them by not hiring them i suppose that that's what it would imply because it's not just like non-vegans and then it's not just that non-vegans have no ethics and then all of a sudden this vegan thing is an ethical belief yeah I'm sure, you know, like Melanie Joy, I'm sure would have something to say about this. You know, she she coined the term carnism essentially to give balance to something like veganism is a system of beliefs. Carnism is a system of beliefs. I don't think it's a perfect term by any stretch, but I can appreciate the attempt to sort of make the dominant ideology realize this is still an ideology. This is still a belief system, even if it's just sort of the norm and you're not really thinking about it. So I guess someone could say that it's discriminatory against carnists. I guess, but like, (laughs) I guess skeptical. Well, I was going to say, I guess then in your job description, you could be like vegans preferred, but if you want to be a, if you want to, eat the flesh of animals and of tortured and and injured animals then be our guest you can still work for us like you can be real real upfront <laughs> about like like yeah this is our ethical belief but we can't since we can't discriminate about your ethical belief here's what your ethical belief is do you still want to work for us <laughs> you piece of shit <laughs> you fucking carnist <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't know I, it's even though I agree, I, like more or less, I agree with Melanie Joy on that, that it is sort of this, what she would call like an invisible system of beliefs, just because it is the dominant ideology of the time. But it almost, yeah, it doesn't feel like it's an active position that people have chosen to take for the most part, unless there's someone that's like, I am actively going out and, and hunting. The only animal flesh I eat is flesh that I hunt, or I make a specific point to only get my animal flesh from this local farmer, you know, like unless someone sort of incorporated some sort of consumption of animals into their belief system, you know, for like the most part, it's just people that are born into a thing and they're doing the thing, but they haven't chosen to do that thing. They're just sort of, I don't know, maybe someone would argue that they'd have, but like, to me, I look at it as like, they're just going along with the tide and therefore it's not, necessarily like some sort of belief system that's being discriminated against if they are not hired because they haven't chosen to adopt a vegan lifestyle. But if they're, if they are applying for this specific job, I mean, I think that some people, you know, justifiably so will just mass apply to jobs because they really need a job. But if you're applying to this job, you're probably at least, you're more likely to be aware of these issues. And I do kind of feel like, I agree with you, Andy, that many people are not choosing to participate in the system. It's just the system that is and the system for them that always has been, so they don't think about it. But I do kind of feel like as soon as you've been confronted with the opposition of that system, you then, to some extent, are choosing 
to still participate in it. Ooh, that is a good point, Paul. <laughs> GPP right there. Good point, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Once once you once you know you have chosen a side. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. All right, here's another question I had. The the employment lawyer was like, maybe a vegan isn't the best person for the job. Can you think of an instance in which that wouldn't be the case? Like, why wouldn't it be better for a vegan be, to be doing this job than a non-vegan? I mean, maybe it's just, like, the best communication advisor of all time. Yeah. Like, someone that could, someone that could like, <laughs> smooth talk safe into, like, the <laughs> the farmer's conventions and stuff like that. Yeah. Like, wow, this is this person's good. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm just thinking, like, why would that person, if they're not invested in this cause, want to use their skills to help that cause? I, I, I'm skeptical about that statement, Andy, because I think that <laughs> there are plenty of people in the world who maybe are aware of issues, not just veganism, but just any social justice issues. Maybe they're not aware of them, but that just choose to not, you know, choose to kind of live their own life for themselves and not really care about trying to, I guess, broadly put, make the world a better place. Mm -hmm. And so for them, it's like, if I'm really good at this thing, like who cares who I'm working for? Like I, I, I'm getting my paycheck. I'm able to do the things that I want to do with, with the money that I make. So it doesn't matter. I mean, like I imagine, you know, a lot of people that work for, like the NSA or something like that. I'm sure not all of them are like have shitty agendas, but they're just good at, at the things that they do. I happen to know that the NSA loves hiring math, like PhD students and math majors just because of the particular way that those sorts of students think about things. And I'm sure not every single one of those students has the same mindset as what the NSA is kind of trying to do. Yeah, I don't know. I, I guess it just feels different because I feel like there's a lot of people that have crappy government jobs that are like, it's a job and I go along with it. But it, it feels different when it's like an altruistic organization that's like actively working to better the world versus someone that's like, it's a job, you know? Maybe. I'm, I'm, sh I'm sure that like one of these bigger animal rights organizations like Peter or something like that, that has lots and lots of employees. I wonder if there are some employees there that are just like, yeah, I'm just vegetarian or like, yeah, this is cool. I eat meat still. Yeah. And I'm not even saying like, because of, because it's PETA in particular, I'm just saying because it's a big organization that has lots of employees. I wonder. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I, I feel like, PETA could be big enough where there's like a, maybe a few people there that aren't vegan. And maybe maybe they even – this is like a potential benefit. Maybe they look at it as activism like, oh, we're going to take someone who isn't vegan and they're going to be surrounded by all these vegans and all this vegan messaging and we will hopefully make a new vegan out of this situation. Do you think that that person at PETA gets – red paint thrown on them every every day as they walk into the office hey, look it's fucking carl let's get him <laughs> just sitting there like typing on the keyboard and then just like a bucket of like uh like nickelodeon like ooze or whatever just gets yeah, like yeah. dumped on them every day <laughs> there's just like you know those like die-ins where people will just like lay down there's just people like laying down around him while he's trying to work <laughs> 
<laughs> this is what you do, Carl. This is what you're contributing to the world. <laughs> There's just like naked women laying across his keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> Carl. <sighs> Fucking Carl. Uh, all right, Paul, one other question for you. Yeah. <laughs> Something that was brought up by someone in this article said, you know, like, what if someone is working for safe and they are vegan and then they stop being vegan? Ooh. Would that mean they'd have to get fired? Ooh, that's a good question. Yeah. I see. <laughs> I don't know, Andy. I feel like I feel like I'm I don't know why. I feel like I'm more against that than I am. I'm totally for the job listing saying you have to be vegan. But for some reason, it seems to me like I'm against the person getting fired if they stop being vegan. But I, I can't put into words why. Hmm, interesting. Like, well, I don't know. What do you think? It doesn't matter what I think, Paul. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Something, something about that seems kind of wrong. But I don't know. But maybe if the person stopped being vegan and they... It depends on the reason why, I suppose. But maybe they switch over to team local meat or something like that. And maybe they would feel really at odds with the organization. And they probably wouldn't want to stay there anyway. You know, obviously, jobs are not the easiest thing to come by. And some people probably stick it out, would stick it out just because it is a job. And maybe they do like their coworkers and it's a good situation for them. But I I would imagine if someone like truly disavowed themselves from the vegan ethic that they wouldn't want to work at that organization anymore anyway. But mm-hmm. having an official policy of if you stop being vegan, you're going to get fired. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I feel like that wades into some murky territory. It does. And because see, see, like I want to say the job can't the job itself can't dictate what you do when you're not at the job. But that's like saying <laughs> that's like the whole debate that we're having with the hiring process. It, it, it feels to me like once you have the job, the like your employers can't tell you, they can't tell you like what you can or can't do when yeah. you're not at the job. But before you have the job, they can, it's, it seems to me like they can, select the the type of person that they want and the type of person that they think because at the end of the day someone could just say that they're vegan and get the job and totally not be vegan at home but none of their coworkers would ever know yeah. you know yeah yeah this is true and you know vegan warrior princes attack have done many episodes on sort of corporate culture why it's the worst and and i think one of the things that they've talked about is how horrible it is that like corporations can kind of control people's lives outside of the office in terms of like, it could be what they post on social media or like the the hair color they have or, or anything like that. So yeah, part of me wonders if this sort of falls into that category. I don't think safe is a giant organization or corporation by any means. I don't really know much about them at all, Paul, but uh, I don't know. It, it almost feels like it's like goes into that territory a little bit but maybe not yeah yeah so i I would say i would say i'm all for them uh selectively hiring vegans but i think i'm i would be against them firing someone for that stopped being vegan yeah that's that's my that's my stance on it my my shaky stance (laughs) shaky stance doing that shaky dance 
(laughs) (laughs) All right. I think we can move on into our main discussion now, Paul. But before we do that, we got some people to thank. (laughs) Yeah. So thank you to our latest Patreon donors who have joined us in this past week to help make the podcast more accessible and more sustainable. Huge thank you to Kristen B. Michael K. Octavio. <laughs> and Louisa O. Yes. So thank you very much. Um, all, all these wonderful people have decided to sustain the podcast at the rate of at least a dollar a month. Some people do it for a little bit more than that. And in return, anyone that does that gets access to all the bonus episodes that we have posted. We do at least one a month. So I think there's four up now at this point, Paul, which is a whole month's worth of content just waiting for you sitting right there. (laughs) And some people can get buttons and stickers and early access to episodes and all that good stuff. So if you want to get in on that action, you want to help us out. Just go to thebeardedvegans.com slash Beardo. How do you spell that, Paul? B-E-A-R-D-O. Nailed it. Not only is he good looking, he can spell too. (laughs) Barely. (laughs) Yeah, and once you do that, there'll be two options. You can choose the Patreon for recurring smaller donation, or you can choose PayPal if you just want to make a one-time donation, and that'll still get you a shout-out on the podcast. So thank you to everyone that did that. And, Paul, I guess we got to start thinking about our, our June bonus episode. I know. We were a little, Our June ep. We were a little late on last month's episode, so. Got to get our stuff together for this month. <laughs> yes, we do. All right. So, Paul, last week we were having uh, the tail end of our discussion about knowing when to shut up, knowing when to pick our battles, and we were discussing a certain organization, and you brought up some criteria as to why you would like things uh, like sort of a a rubric or a metric that you use to assess whether or not you would support an organization. And that definitely had us thinking about like, should we be critical of organizations? How should we be critical? When is it okay? Is it not okay? And so, so you posed this question to me that sort of was about infighting within the movement and, and you're saying maybe we shouldn't be critical of other organizations. Like maybe we should just support everyone. And what if the amount of time that we spent criticizing other organizations instead we use to go out and try and make new vegans? And I thought, hey, Paul, that's a great question. So I don't know. You want to kick this one off for us? Yeah. So I was I was thinking about our discussions in the last two episodes, which I loved. That was I think, Andy, that was two of my favorite episodes that we've recorded in a very long time. And I was thinking about them and the word infighting, I heard the word infighting. I don't know if we've ever talked about the infighting in the animal rights movement, probably in relation to when we did our review of the animal rights conference. I'm sure the word infighting came up (laughs) at some point then. But I was thinking about how we take very, although our podcast is not necessarily designed to have these definitive stances on things and i i hope that it comes across as almost the opposite it's like we we want to just talk through these things we work through these things and we usually don't come up with answers to the questions that we're posing but that being said i think that we are often critical of either different activists or tactics or different organizations and and i was just thinking i was like huh like w- we are certainly contributing to 
what some people would say is like the infighting problem in the animal rights movement. And it got me thinking like, is that a bad thing? Should we be, should, should we be this critical of others? Is there, is there some criteria where it's like, yes, you should be critical of this sort of thing, but no, don't be critical of this sort of thing. Is it a waste of time? Should I be focusing my energies on talking to non-vegans instead of just talking to other fellow vegans that maybe I disagree with? So that's where my headspace was at. And I think the first kind of the, 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 the first debate that comes to mind when one thinks of infighting in the animal rights movement is, of course, the welfare versus abolitionist approaches to vegan advocacy. And if you're not familiar with the podcast, Andy and myself both wholeheartedly promote the abolitionist perspective, and we are often critical of some other tactics that are promoting a more welfare type of stance uh but can i stop you paul you can stop me anytime andy <laughs> hammer time i i i don't i think that many people that feel like they wholeheartedly promote an abolitionist way of thinking would probably listen to our podcast and say that we do not promote that we do not wholeheartedly promote an abolitionist way of thinking i think that for me for me personally I don't adopt the term abolitionist because I think that one, it's, a, it's sort of appropriative of previous social justice movements, but also it's sort of really tied up in the whole sort of Camp Francione. And uh, I I feel like there's sort of a lot of baggage to that term, but I feel like like for clarification purposes, to put it the simplest, especially for anyone that hasn't really been privy to this debate, I was not privy to this debate really until I started attending the Animal Rights Conference, and I, that's when I realized that there was this huge divide within the movement that like, you and I believe that and no cages is the way forward rather than bigger cages, mm-hmm. essentially, and that we, we don't believe in promoting sort of half measures or half steps, but it doesn't mean that we aren't understanding of people that don't go vegan right away or people that feel like they have to take smaller steps in that direction. Whereas I think sort of like the Francione-esque camp is like baby steps are for babies and there, you know, <laughs> there, there's no, you know, there's, there's nothing other than, 100% promoting veganism. And I think that's what we we do. We 100% promote veganism, but I think we promote a, a more like understanding version of that than I think what a lot of people who classify themselves as like hardcore abolitionists would. Mm-hmm. I, okay, I agree with that. And, and also, after I said this and you stopped me, I was like, well, I feel like my thoughts on open rescues from last week's episode would probably have some people debating whether or not I am an true abolitionist vegan anyways well i think that it's hard not to have this discussion like a discussion about like abolitionism without including gary francione because he is just so tied to that term but you know his his perspective from what i am aware of is essentially the only thing for us to do is nonviolent, creative vegan education and he's not into any sort of direct action okay all right well, then maybe I am a, a Francione <laughs> abolitionist. <laughs> but I actually, so I, I found an article that I feel like nicely, succinctly puts into perspective 
the the two extreme viewpoints that I'm just going to use the word that an abolitionist vegan might have pertaining to this debate about welfare versus abolitionist. So I found this article from medium.com that was from April and it basically was talking about a debate between Wayne Shung and Gary Francione, timely, and uh, uh, like about basically this welfare versus abolitionist. So I'm going to read just a little bit from this article. While both Shung and Francione advocate fiercely for the complete abolition of all animal exploitation, only Shung believes that groups like PETA, HSUS, and Mercy for Animals are allies in this fight. Francione asserts, I've got nothing in common with people who give awards to slaughterhouse designers, referring to PETA's giving Temple Granding the Proggy Award in 2004. I've got nothing in common with people who have campaigns in which they promote animal exploiters. Francione does not see such groups as allies within his movement, albeit ones with a tactical approach that differs from his own, but as supporters of the very structures that he is seeking to dismantle. The question of how to identify all and only allies in a social movement is a difficult one, and my goal is not to adjudicate between Shung and Francione here. My aim instead is to stress the question's urgency. If the boundaries of a movement are too expansive, then opponents will be able to co-opt it and level accusations of infighting when activists fight back. But if the boundaries are too strict, then the movement will miss out on the documented benefits of strategic and tactical diversity. The stakes are high. The stakes are high, Andy. <laughs> yeah, you know, Paul, this actually, I was a little wary as you were heading into this article, but I think it does sort of lay out the, the question that we're trying to get at, which is, should, should we be critical of others, of other activists? Can we be critical? Is that an okay thing to do? But this sort of lays out the stakes that, like, if, if we are, I think if we're not critical of anyone and sort of everyone's welcomed in then like the 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 net is cast too wide but if we're super critical then we're like missing out on building allyship with other movements or even people within our movement that have slightly different tactics but ultimately the same end goal yeah which it's uh i don't know it just paints this picture that's like okay we just have to find this middle ground but it's hard to really agree on what that middle ground is so andy i think I want to bring up the kind of criteria that I used that I brought up last week, just in case anyone hasn't listened to last week's episode. What I said last week was for me, there's a difference between another vegan advocate or I should say another vegan organization who is just promoting a tactic that I disagree with that maybe I think is not as effective as it could be or maybe even is detrimental to the vegan movement. There's a difference in my mind between that and then another organization who has a history of abusers or uh, has a history of abusive like relationships with the, the members of the group or maybe has leaders who are not doing great things or maybe they have, they assert like kind of, they have racist campaigns or sexist campaigns or that kind of stuff to me that falls in a different camp and for me that camp i'll always be against flat out despite what tactics they're using although maybe the tactics are the thing that's that's racist or sexist but in the other camp it's like yes i disagree with this mode of advocacy but i don't usually i can find common ground in 
these people, their intentions and and their their genuineness and their determination to you know create a vegan world. So I, I feel like I'm less likely to dismiss those sorts of groups. So I don't know if that's kind of the for me that seems like that would be the jumping off point about how to find this middle ground and 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 kind of creating some sort of criteria to be like okay we should be i don't want to say should but maybe we can be critical of this organization but maybe this one it's not necessarily worth my time or it's not necessarily worth the 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 energy that i'm going to put into this in order to change those people's minds versus just talking to non-vegans to try to change their minds. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It, do, like, do you, do you have, or do you think that there even can exist some criteria where it's like these people, this organization, we should discuss this. We should discuss why we think you and I, Andy on this podcast, why we think that people should either stay away from this organization or, or, actively promote people or expose this organization like do you have a criteria that's like kind of trying to sift through that that's a good question i think i do have criteria that is similar to yours paul and that that there are sort of different categories of of harmful or things that need to be addressed and i think you know that that very first category that you struck out which was this is a group that is abusive towards the members its own members and i feel like even if that is a group that does tactics has tactics that i love it's an automatic no for me and that's a group that i will actively work to let people know that they are an abusive group and i feel like there's not really much room for discussion on that end and i i hope that that should be obvious why but you know a lot of people support groups that i think are pretty abusive so maybe it isn't obvious but for me that's something that's like an immediate no and then you move into something that's like further down the spectrum there which is like okay this group is doing something that you know Maybe I don't love their tactics. Maybe they're in their tactics. They are engaging in something that's very sort of single issue white veganism. And the way they're promoting some sort of animal issue is very sexist or racist or something like that. That's not a group that I will immediately cast out. They're not a group that I'll promote, but it is a group that I'll try to engage in a conversation with. And I think that you and I don't like to like be like, Hey, we're allies or anything. You know, I feel like that's very performative when people just sort of talk about being allies. But I think that if allies uh, to any social justice movement have any job, it is to speak to those that are, you know, our people and, and say, Hey, you're messing up here. You're not doing a good job on these particular issues. So I I don't know. People, when people call out like the racism of a certain group or something like that, people will jump in and say, well, you're just infighting and you're just distracting from the quote unquote real issues. But I think to me, it's really important that we do address those issues because as, as you know, we've talked about this on the podcast so many times that like a more inclusive animal rights movement is a more effective and wide reaching animal rights movement. So I think that those those things, I would say, are incredibly important for us to address. And then you move a little further down the spectrum and it's like, okay, this is a group that is not doing anything that's like racist or sexist or transphobic or whatever it might be. But 
they're working on animal issues and they're doing it in a way that I feel like is not the most productive and effective. And, you know, this maybe could be the category where people say, well, I disagree about meatless Mondays or I disagree about welfare reforms. Right. So I feel like uh, does this does this sort of spectrum I'm laying out so far make sense to you, Paul? It does. And I, I think the reason why, Andy, I wanted to even have this whole discussion is because in the very recent recent past, it's kind of come to me where I'm like, I've realized, I've reflected on some of my own reactions to either people I know or organizations I read about that do tactics like the ones that you just mentioned. So further down the spectrum where it's either welfare or it's uh, like some sort of tactic where I'm like, I don't, I don't know how effective this is. I don't know if it's damaging, but I don't know how effective this is. Those sorts of things. And I kind of reflected on how I would always have this, this gut immediate reaction of like oh well that's not good and i didn't necessarily say that out loud but that's just the reaction that i had and i started thinking like well do i need to speak out about this about those issues that i'm having like every single time they come up or is that just like am i am i should I more so be critical of the ones at the beginning of your spectrum, Andy, and and less so about these ones further down the spectrum and just kind of let them be and continue promoting the things that I believe are are the ways to promote and, and the ideas that I want to promote? And is it just is it truly detrimental to the movement as a whole? for us to argue of those issues that are further along the spectrum? The I, I guess we'll call them the less serious issues. Well, Paul, I, I think that many, and I guess myself included, would say that they are serious issues. Obviously, you know, the, the issue that we are dealing with as vegans, the, you know, the exploitation of, of billions of animals every year, living lives of abject misery and, and meeting with a brutal death, all for, for the most part, very frivolous reasons, is a really important issue. So I think that that's that's why we find so much quote-unquote infighting within this movement because it is a very serious thing and we have limited time and resources we have limited numbers of people willing to work on these issues and we don't want to see other people engaging in activism that is you know maybe at best just sort of ineffective and at worst damaging to the movement and that's why you do have people i guess like francione who seems to spend the majority of his time talking shit on all the organizations, all the major organizations out there, because he feels like what they're doing is damaging the movement. It's not like, Oh, well we're working on it in a different way. So it doesn't matter. Like he feels that what they're doing is actually straight up sort of um, undermining the work that people with his particular views on animal liberation have. And so, so I think, yeah, they are very important things and it is hard to know when, when do we just let you know i don't i don't love meatless monday but i'm like i don't think it's the worst thing in the world so should i spend my time explaining to people why meatless monday is not my preferred thing or should i just go out and try and make you know new vegans and you know let the meatless monday people do their thing and i don't know i think i think you kind of the the questions that you've asked me before we had this discussion are very valid like I don't know, is is the good that I do spending my time tell, explaining to someone why I don't like a welfare campaign, is it better spent just going and talking to someone about going vegan? 
because Andy, what this is also, I will say before I get into my point that I think that some people, some people would consider our podcast just spending all the time talking <laughs> shit about other organizations. <laughs> but what I wanted to say was, let me throw this at you. So we are very critical of one particular organization that for many reasons, but for one, one of the reasons is that their whole philosophy is they want to create new activists, not necessarily new vegans. They want to take people who are already vegan and make them into activists. And that's like their main goal. Do you worry that what we're doing is we're spending all our time taking people that are already vegan activists and then making them our type of vegan activist? Is that not very similar? I don't know. I don't know. I I think that, you know, what we aim to do on this podcast is to help people communicate veganism better to people, like more effectively. Yeah. And I think our podcast also serves the the position of sort of creating a space for people to talk about or think about these issues that maybe they hadn't been thinking about and a place for them to feel some sort of relief from the the very non-vegan world. You know, we get so many emails from people who say they have no like in real life IRL vegan friends and where we are their little vegan community of two where they're vegan friends. And, and so I, I think that like our podcast serves much more than, Oh, we're just trying to tell people they have to do veganism our way. And even though we have some very specific views on what we think makes a, a, you know, quote unquote, good vegan advocate, I think that we also occasionally make sure to reinforce that, like, we're not telling you what you have to do, but we hope that you hear what we have to say and think that it makes sense and, and hopefully become a more empathetic vegan activist because of it. I agree. I agree with that. I don't, I don't think that what we're doing is the same as, as what that group organization is doing. And I, like, I also feel like, you know, what we are doing is, is like serves a different function than like a nonprofit that's out there trying to make new vegans. Like, I think that some people, you know, and this harkens back to probably two episodes ago when I was asking you like, well, what if there's like the one perfect activism? Is it unethical to engage in any other type of activism? Is that like some people say, yeah, like, why are you, why are you recording this podcast and, and sort of bringing up all these critical points about other organizations or activists or philosophies when you could just go out there like making new vegans. And it's like, I think that as a movement we do need, and maybe this is just me trying to justify our existence, but like, I think we (laughs) need people that are there to comment on what's happening. Like, like we have a news section, but often our news section is sort of commenting on the news. Like we're commenting on the vegan news. It's like, we have stories about the Kat Von D pregnancy thing and it was not like we were covering that she was pregnant. We were covering how the vegan media was covering this pregnancy and specifically like mm-hmm. plant-based news talking about how people were saying, oh, you're no longer vegan anymore. So I think that like hopefully we serve a position to help filter through all the, all the news stories that are people seeing popping up in their Facebook feed and, and having people give a hopefully very thoughtful discussion and critique to it and – I think that that is like a really important thing because not everyone's going to have those friends to talk through about those issues, or maybe they do have those friends, but we offer a different perspective for them. Yeah. Yeah. 
And we love when people email us in and give us a different perspective than maybe we haven't thought about before. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we get so many emails where we're just like, oh, shit, had not thought of that particular <laughs> angle. You know, some some people are like, you are totally wrong about this thing. And sometimes we're like, oh, you know what? You're right. And sometimes it's just, oh, here's an additional angle that you did not cover. And we try and, you know, read those on the show so people get a more broad scope of whatever the issue might have been. So, Andy, it seems like... You know, I love putting things in spectrums. It seems like in addition to the spectrum that we were just talking about, which is like how egregious the violation is in, in terms of what type of advocacy you're doing or what sort of ideas you're promoting. There might also be a different spectrum. That's how we react to these sorts of these sorts of violations, I guess, mm-hmm. or these sorts of disagreements. And on one end of the spectrum, there is the idea that. As long as you're promoting veganism, nothing is off limits. It does not matter how you try to get this point across. It doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter what you do. As long as your messages go vegan, it's fine. That's that's one extreme. And I would say maybe the other extreme is like the Gary Francione way of just kind of being hypercritical and saying like, you are not a part of this movement. You're not a part of this movement. You're not an ally for me. Like, this is wrong. If it's not my exact way of doing things, then it's wrong. Mm -hmm. I think that would be the other end. Where do you where do you think, Andy, is there do you believe there's one spot on that spectrum that we should all lie? That is the most productive way of of helping the movement, because I don't think I agree with either of those extreme viewpoints. But I'm wondering if it's possible that everyone could lie on the same point and that would be the most beneficial or if just differences in personalities differences in people will make it so that you lie at different points on the spectrum i mean i think that this isn't a a perfect rule but i think that if you find yourself spending more time talking about why other activists aren't doing like the quote-unquote right thing than you are doing your own activism I think that that would be a time when you need to reflect on how much shit you're talking on everyone else. <laughs> Obviously, our podcast is the most interesting discussions are when we have something to be critical about. So maybe we fall into that trap where we're talking about things critically more than positively. But, you know, personally, I find it's like more interesting. Like, it's cool when we have a new story. We're like, oh, this is really great. And we like this thing. But that's not an interesting conversation to listen to, I think. Like... You know, the movie review podcasts that I that I love are the most interesting when all the hosts don't agree on the movie. If they're all just sitting there fawning over the movie, it's cool if I like the movie, but I would rather hear different viewpoints. And I'd rather hear someone take down a movie that I really love so I can think about the points that they're making. So I think that it is important to do that. But I think if that's like the only thing that you ever do, that that is like that's harmful and that you should take a step back and say, you know what, maybe I should spend some time going out and doing some sort of creative, nonviolent vegan education. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So Andy, I, I kind of, I, I don't think I want to get into how we feel about all these different issues, but I came up with a couple other examples that I thought were common areas that vegans have disagreements about. So, for instance, like direct action versus vegan education, having giving the public a p- 
positive, constructive experience versus just getting the word vegan or getting the idea of veganism into the public sphere and then supporting all and every activist versus filtering out the bullshit. And without getting into the specifics of necessarily how we feel about those or like, and there are probably other issues as well. Are there any, Andy, that you think we as two podcasters or me as a person, because I was the one that was thinking about this, like, are there any things that you think I should be less critical about of other of other activists because because again this this whole this whole conversation spawned from me feeling like i was being maybe i was having these feelings that were like too critical of other activists when i was like wait well maybe i shouldn't spend my time just bashing on these other people so do you think that any of those or any other issue like we should spend less time talking about this is what i think i think that we should spend our time promoting the activists that we do agree with. You know, I think that's what we do with our interviews. You know, we, we don't really bring people on to argue with them. We bring them on because we think they're doing important work that could use the little, a little bearded vegans bump, you know? And, (laughs) and then when you do see something that you feel is harmful, I think it's, um, I would even say our responsibility to address those things. And, you know, you sort of revert back to that spectrum that we that I was that I was laying out before and that there are certain things like abuse allegations that are like a hard no and we need to address those things and and maybe even just like work to shut down any support for that organization. And then there are groups that are engaging in, in harmful behavior towards humans that we need to address and talk to them and maybe don't support and promote them, but it doesn't mean not engaging with them in a conversation at all. And yeah, I, I think that it's, it's, it's better to support the people with which you think are doing good work and which you agree with the way that they're doing their work than it is to spend all of your time talking down about the ones that you don't agree with. You know, like if I'm, if I'm like going out on the street trying to do activism or if I'm going to make like a Facebook post, I, I want to be engaging in the world in a, a positive way. And I think, yeah, some people might say, well, your podcast is not positive. You're so critical of everything. Personally, I think it is positive. I think that by being critical of our movement, it helps us to make a stronger and more effective movement in the long run. Nice. I was actually, my my next question was going to be like, as a kind of conclusionary statement, what would you say to people who do say like, oh, your podcast is too critical or too negative or too gossipy? But you kind of, you kind of answered that, Andy. <laughs> Harmful gossip. <laughs> so do you have any, do you have any kind of final thoughts about this or did that kind of wrap it up? No, I mean, I feel like this is kind of like a very surface level exploration, but I think that sort of by laying out our metric and our sort of overall philosophy, it can help us to explore these things more. Hopefully it helps people that are listening to kind of assess when they feel like they need to do what, like when they need to speak out and, and when they need to address these things and when maybe it's like, okay, this isn't the best tactic, but whatever, like it's not worth my time to talk crap on that. It's worth my time to go out and engage in what I think is effective. Also, I, I think maybe we didn't stress this enough, but in our critique of other tactics like when we are literally talking to people who talking to a person and another activists who's who is maybe doing something that we don't agree with i think it is important to stress like be constructive and be positive in that 
communication and that interaction as well. Because I, I, I think it's not good if you just say like, oh, you're doing you're you're doing welfare veganism. F you, man. You know, it's like you should be you should be practicing the same positive and, and constructive forms of communication that you do when talking to non-vegans as you do when you're talking to vegans about this issue that you disagree with. It's just another, it's another conversation that has some disagree disagreements. It's going to have tension in it. Just both conversations will. So, you know, be, be cool about the way that you bring up these issues as well. I don't think we talked about bringing up these issues, but I just wanted to throw that in. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great point. I think that especially with people that are sort of on the, the less extreme end of the spectrum they were talking about, which is just like, oh, I don't know if this is my preferred tactic kind of thing. I think that it is important to recognize that we, most of us do have the same end goal. We just disagree on how to get there. And so I think that there is a lot of common ground that we can find. I mean, Paul and I are friends with tons of activists that engage in, in animal welfare activism and and things that we don't necessarily think are the best, but I think it's important for us to have those connections and, and not segment off our movement into these little clicks. I think that that is more harmful. And, and that also when you are, when you have those connections, when you have those friendships, when those bridges have been built, it makes it a lot easier to address things that come up that you do feel like need to be addressed. Yeah, there's definitely, I I think, I know I've said this before, especially in the last two episodes, but I think most of the time what i see when i see vegans engaging in in types of activism that i don't agree with that i don't necessarily think are very effective it's definitely not it's definitely not from a place of like oh these people don't have good intentions or these people aren't enthusiastic about it oftentimes they are incredibly enthusiastic about what they're doing so i think you can definitely build a lot of common ground off of that foundation that like you said andy we share the, oftentimes we share this common goal yeah and you know often it's the people that are the most enthusiastic that are, are sort of are the people that kind of jump into the first opportunity that is presented to them and maybe they just haven't had a chance to really reflect on, you know, why they're doing a particular action or joining a particular organization. And I think those people especially need additional kindness and empathy when we are having those discussions with them. Definitely. Definitely. So let us know if you have any thoughts about this. Let us know what you think about this. This is definitely one of those episodes where, you know, we haven't necessarily given out any concrete conclusions or anything like that but it's still something that i know i myself am working through and reflecting on and still figuring out how i feel about this how to tackle some of these issues that i disagree with but you know, let us know what you think help me out help help you help me help <laughs> you we did lay out a nice spectrum though paul a couple, we did couple two spectrums spe- two yeah. Spe- yeah couple spectrums nice. so what does it let mean? us know what you think <laughs> double spectrum so let us know what you think send us in an email thebeardedvegans at gmail.com uh, hit us up on the instagram follow us on facebook and yeah send us send us your thoughts <laughs> give us attention please <laughs> <laughs> speaking of getting attention andy where are you gonna be you know what paul we're about to be reunited <clears throat> Yay. I haven't seen Paul in person in, in quite some time, it feels. And June 16th, mm-hmm. we will be together at the Tri-State Veg Fest in Edison, New Jersey. 
at the Compassion Company table. Look for the green, the bright green tablecloth and the unicorns, and you'll find both of us. Come say, what's up, Beardo? Hook you up with a button and a sticker. Yeah. And then, it's exciting. Yeah, yeah. And then June 30th, I will be out at the Vegandale Food and Drink Fest in Chicago, Illinois. July 14th. Oh, this is this is coming right up, Paul. We're going to be at the Atlantic City Vegan Food Festival doing our live podcast. We need, yeah. we need to start plugging that at the beginning of the show. Uh, July 21st, right. I'll be at Compassion Fest in Hamden, Connecticut. July 28th and 29th, I'll be at the VegFest Colorado in Broomfield, Colorado. It's right near Denver. Uh, on the 29th, I will be speaking on a uh, food and body shaming panel with Ginny Messina and JL Fields, which is going to be awesome. And July 29th, Paul, you'll, you'll be at the Jimmy Jam at the Skylands Animal Sanctuary <laughs> in uh, wa- yeah. Wantage, 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 New Jersey. <laughs> However you pronounce it. You can find all those dates, deets, and links over at CompassionCo.com. It's just CompassionCo.com. And yeah, any of those events, come find me or Paul behind the Compassion Company table. No, no pressure to buy a shirt. Just come say hi. We'll hook you up with a button and a sticker. Cool. Paul, I think that, you know, we didn't devote too much time in this episode to having these conversations with other people. And maybe we'll do a future episode where we do talk about how to specifically engage with uh, another activist whose tactics you disagree with. But it can it can certainly get heated from time to time. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, again, everyone's super passionate. It's a very important and a very dire issue. And, you know, animals are dying right this second. So it makes sense that people get really passionate about it. But I think that if you ever find yourself in one of those conversations and you feel super heated and and super worked up and, and you're just getting angry and no one's really like getting any good points and no one's listening to each other, it's important to calm down. And I have a little mantra that I will just repeat over and over and over again if I do feel that I'm I'm getting like too angry to have a productive conversation. Uh, it's really mm-hmm. simple. It's it's just so easy. All you have to say is these same seven words over and over and over again. It is in fact the following seven words. We are the bearded vegans. Signing off. Can you get another one with my morning voice on it, Paul? Yeah, but your morning voice was so good last time. It's so sexy. <laughs> <laughs> Literally seven billion types of milk, <laughs> uh, one for each type of human. Type of human. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be curious to see if any of the speakers address that. Can you hear that? Yeah. <laughs> I think that was my AC. <laughs> Dying gasp. I'm sure that a job application for an organization, an organization. I feel like there's a lot of people that have like crappy government, 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 hashtag government. And my goal is not to adjudicate. Damn it. It's a tough word. But I came up with a couple other examples of what I thought were garbage people yelling outside. That's what they do. 
no, Andy, like people collecting the garbage, not just garbage <laughs> trash humans. <laughs> And mm-hmm. uh, and they're living lives of abject misery. They're meeting a brutal death. Holy shit! That where'd that bug come from? Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! It's like one of those things that looks like a wasp. Where have you been this whole time? <laughs> oh my shit! Holy fuck! That thing is huge. <laughs> oh my god! What oh. the fuck? I need to get a cup. Hold on. Okay. God. <laughs> Oh, I see it. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, go. Andy's grabbed the cup. I got he's going it. after the he's going after the bug. He's taken off his headphones. He's gone out of the frame. It's, oh, he's back in the oh, frame. This bug is so he's got, not easy for me to get right now. He's got a cup and what appears to be a TV guide that he's going to try to capture this bug in. Where did he come oh, he's from? He's going for it. Nope. He's hesitating. Oh, oh, he's made some, he's made a move, but nope. Oh, he's going back. Oh, he has trapped the bug against the window. He's sliding the TV guide under it. He has the bug. He is showing me the bug. It's a very large bug. Holy shit, Paul. (laughs) For fans of the spider in the car bloopers. (laughs) Oh my god, where did that bug was just chilling in here the whole time? Waiting to make their move. Oh my god, you talking about Francione? (laughs) (laughs) That's an abolitionist bug right there. (laughs) Oh my god, were you talking or was I talking? 